Amen. If you would remain standing with us this morning, open up your word to Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Today we are going to dive back into the book of Hebrews. We were planning on over the past few weeks, what was on the calendar, uh, we were supposed to do a different series um, on eternity and in times. But God took us down a detour on, on faith the past couple of weeks. And how many of you know, when you get to detours in life, um, it typically requires a lot of faith. Uh, his delays aren't his denial, so we're going to get to eternity and in times because we do need to talk about that as a church and as a world because um, we believe in the imminent. Everybody say imminent. The imminent, the upcoming, the soon coming return of our, our Lord. And we need to prepare ourselves as a people. Amen. Um, so today we are going to jump back into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Father, we thank you for your word. Let your word come alive in our hearts and in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. We ain't got nothing but the blood, amen? There's nothing but the power of the blood. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more. He doesn't say just do these things, but he says, and encouraging one another, And all the more, like add encouragement to it, and even more, as you see the day drawing near. You may be seated this morning. Um, Today is September 11th, and I want to do, add my respects to all of those that lost their life and to our nation and honoring those who work and uh, first responders. We have some that served in the NYPD during that time that are here among us um, today. And so we salute, we celebrate all of our first responders um, today. Amen. Uh, my wife and her family, they're up from New Jersey, Staten Island, New York area. And my father-in-law had uh, two very close friends that he lost in the towers that day. Uh, went into work and never came home. And so, um, you know, we have people and, um, that are in this church, very, very impact. We had a man in the church that was supposed to be in the towers and God led him a different way that morning for work. And uh, God spared his life. And so, um, you know, we celebrate, we commemorate, and we re- remember, and we pay honor to, uh, to those. Today we are diving back into Hebrews. Verse 19 says, therefore, brother, since we have confidence. I had a Bible teacher tell me one time, therefore, anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you should stop and see what it is there for, Right? You should stop and see. In short, this therefore stands for the sacrifice and the shed blood of Christ Jesus. Hebrews is basically saying because of the blood of 
Christ Jesus. How many know without the shed blood of Christ Jesus, we are nothing? We have nothing. Everything is lost save for the blood of Christ Jesus. And so Hebrews is saying, because of the blood of Christ Jesus, it gives us confidence. Are there any confident people in the room this morning? All right. Well, we got a few of y'all out there. Uh, to be honest, I wasn't one that excelled in the area of confidence growing up. It's not that I was this crazy, insecure person um, as well. I just didn't excel in confidence. I, I kept my head down as much as I, I kept it, it up. But specifically, um, I didn't do well with confidence in the arena of sports um, growing up. And so I'm going to have a little fun with y'all. Y'all are welcome to have fun with me today um, and try to do a little object lesson to help build some confidence at my expense. So come on, guys. Um, let's bring it out and uh, get this party rolling this morning. How, do all, how many of y'all remember the 1990s as the greatest decade of basketball with the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, the worm, right? Horace Grant. Tony Kukoc, come on. How many of y'all remember? Those were like the glory days of basketball. I loved growing up and watching some, watching some basketball in the 1990s. And basketball was one of the sports that I, I played, but I also struggled in, in confidence. Not on, not on defense, only on, only on offense. And in practice, I would always do great in basketball. Like I could get to the line, um, and hit nine out of 10 free throws. I could go to the three-point line and hit seven out of 10 three-pointers in practice, but for some reason, when it came to game time, freezing up came alongside. Like, you're supposed to ice your body after the game, not during the game, all because I struggled with confidence. I let the crowd, the coaches, the, the players get into my head. So today, the question is, am I gonna let y'all get in my head? Right? Am I gonna let y'all? How many of y'all got faith in Pastor today? Huh? I'm just gonna put it like this. They don't call me Pastor Jay for no reason. So let's get ready. We got more lights, camera, and people than I ever had when I was playing basketball. Oh! I've got a basketball coach here today too. Scott, you here? Where you at, bro? Come on down to the front, Scott McDonald. Come on. Ah, one more, one more, right here. Oop. This is my basketball coach. He's the guilty one for this right here. Oh! Come here, Scott. Come on, come on. Let's see if you've got it in you. Y'all give it up for my basketball coach, Scott. D1 basketball player. Come on, three-point line right here. All the things that you put me through in life when I played basketball with you is this payback today. All the suicides, all the line-to-line -line drills. I love you. Come on, hit it off. One shot. <laughs> as long as it was for me. I, I just did this today. Come on, baby, come on. He's got cowboy boots. He used to have J's on. 
I love you. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to if you don't want to. Come on. Oh, one more, one more. Come on. I love you. So the coach I talk about in just a second was not this coach, all right? Just, just so you know. But I didn't get a lot of playing time because I excelled on offense as an athlete. I had one coach that was very memorable, not Scott. He was not the best coach, but he was very memorable <laughs> coach, to say the least. And during one halftime, my coach yelled at me, and he said, Jordan, don't shoot another shot this game. And I was like, all right. And so what do you do as an eighth grade? I got the ball, they pass it, I dribble down, go to the three-point line, I shoot and drain a three, and his face was priceless. It was this anger joy that was on his face. He was like, you shouldn't have done that, but good shot. So the reason I started was not because I excelled on offense, but because I was not going to allow another person on the court to out-hustle me. I was gonna get out there. I had one coach that called me a gnat. I was gonna work it. And if you were out playing offense and I was playing defense, I was going after it the whole time. And confidence, it makes all the difference in your performance. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence, confidence, it lets me take the shot, right? Confidence lets me take the shot and not pass the ball or pass the buck. See, your performance in practice is important, but it's not near as important as game time. If, I don't care if I can make every shot during practice. If practice does not translate to game time, there are issues, right? Confidence demands that I, I take the shot in the public arena of life. And for many believers, it's not that they don't do a good job of praying big prayers in, in private, but for some reason, when it comes to living those prayers out in public, they freeze up. And faith, day in and day out in the public realm, can be very challenging. What do I mean? Our confidence in Jesus can easily wane due to the rigors of, of life. Love, joy, peace can all be challenged very easily. And our confidence to go into the holy place, it wanes and we shrink back. And as I preached a couple of weeks ago, we are not of those who shrink back. Amen? James 4 said it like this. When we ask, we don't receive because we ask Miss Pastor Dusty said it the other night. This means that we ask and we miss. See, confidence in Christ Jesus demands that we take the shot not just in private. It demands that we not just take the shot in public in the everyday of life, but also when adversity comes our way as well. And earlier I was up here by my by myself, but now I'm going to bring James coming in at six foot five. So yeah, six foot five. I feel like this is a scene from Space Jam coming on at me. Come on, baby. Hey, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it right there. No more, no more. We're finishing strong. One more, one more, one more. All right, come on, baby. There we go. Got him. Got him. Confidence demands that we take the shot in the face of adversity because sometimes... Sometimes in life, we feel like everything gets thrown at us, and then the kitchen sink comes out, too. And we're like, really? Really? But we have to have faith. 
We don't shrink back. When it comes our way, we have faith. We step up to the plate. We step up to the line and we shoot the shot. See, we speak faith when we speak faith in healing when the doctors come in and they say there is no chance. It takes confidence to stand up for righteousness and integrity in the workplace when unrighteous behavior is rewarded. It takes confidence to maintain purity in high school, to not bow to the temptations of pressure, to know that we are not defined by people that we will never see again in our lives. It takes confidence to not lie on the job, to not fudge a report, to not wrongfully seek gain or promotion. It takes confidence. And we have to be able to shoot those shots with confidence, to not miss our mark, to have confidence that when we come before the throne of Jesus, he hears, he knows, he responds, amen? Gotta get my breath now. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. In Jewish tradition and law, the priest went into the holy place once per year on the day of atonement. And when he would go into the holy of holies, he would make atonement for the children of Israel and then he would begin to intercede in behalf of the children of Israel. And for anyone to go into the holy place that was not part of the priestly order, it meant utter death. It, it, you, you died at that point. In Jewish tradition, they would actually take a rope and they would tie it around the, the waist or the leg of the high priest who would go into the holy of holies in case he dropped dead in the presence of the Lord. Going into the holies of holies, it was reserved for the high priest and the high priest alone once per a year. And so when Jesus, when he tears the veil and he gives access, not to just the priestly order, but to all the common folk. Think of the fear and the reverence that happened at that place. People lacked confidence to go into the holy places. It's not that they went into the holy of holies at that point, but there was a fear and a reverence of approaching the throne room of God. And what Hebrews is saying, because of the blood of Christ Jesus, not because of work that you've done, not because of how good you've been on your checklist and in your behavior chart, not because of all the things that you've done in life, but because of the blood of Christ Jesus. You've been granted access to go into the holy place. Now go in there with confidence. Go in there with confidence. John 5, 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we have whatever we ask of him. Amen. He gives us confidence. He gives us access through his blood to go into his presence, not just in private, not just in public, but even when times of adversity come our way. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to be afraid. We can have this confidence. Verse 22 says, so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How are we to draw near? with true hearts and full assurance of faith. I preached about assurance last week. A true heart is a heart of sincerity. It's not a heart of insecurity. It's not a heart of timidity, but one who is sincere, one who is genuine. Jesus even commented about one of his disciples named Nathaniel, 
one who in, in whom there was no deceit, no, no guile, whose heart was a true heart. And Jesus desires his people to have true hearts. Psalm says that who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall be able to stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Jesus tells the woman at the well that the time is coming and is now here where true worshipers, they will worship me in spirit and in truth. You see, evil hearts lead us away from the presence and access to God, but true hearts lead us to approaching his throne room in a spirit of assurance of of faith with hearts cleansed and bodies pure. Hearts cleansed and bodies pure. Jesus told the religious in Matthew 23, your outside is beautiful, right? It's all dressed up, fine robes and linens. It's, it's gorgeous. The religious were gorgeous on the outside. But inside, inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. In the old covenant, the exterior was constantly washed. The hands, the feet, the body, the face. But church, God wasn't after a sanitary people. He was after a people who were a pure people. See, hand sanitizer, it may clean up what's on the outside, but hand sanitizer can't touch the inside. Purell, it ain't going to clean up the heart. We got to have heart transformation, and that is what God Almighty is concerned with, the transformation of our hearts, our hearts being cleansed by the power of his blood. See, the old covenant was types and shadows of the things that were coming, and when Jesus tore the veil, he gave access to the common folk. Jesus' blood, it was taken to the Holy of Holies. And Jesus installs this new covenant, not of outward cleansing, but of inward transformation, which is why in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he says that I will remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh leading to internal transformation. So let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Point one, confidence. Point two, draw near. Point number three, hold fast. Verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is is faithful. Hold fast. You you ever told a a family member or a friend, you better put a ring on that one quick, right? When they're they're dating somebody, you better snatch that one up uh, quick. What are you trying to do? Get them to hold fast. Hebrew says hold fast. Fast, the confession of our hope. I said last week that the object of our faith is also the object of our hope. And we are not to let go, but to hold on. What did Jacob do when he wrestled with God? He would not let go of God until God turned and he blessed him. He was gripping, he was holding on, he was holding fast to the one who was able to bless him, the one who was able to bring that promise into fruition. He says, hold fast the confession of our faith in Isaiah 62. Isaiah talks of how God had placed watchmen on the walls of Jerusalem who were to pray and fast night and day. And he literally says to give God no rest. Isaiah chapter 62, to give me no rest until I turn and answer, till I establish Jerusalem as a place of praise that is holding fast to where we do not let go. We give God 
no rest in our prayer life. We give God no rest in our hope. We give God no rest in our faith. We lean in and we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. My wife Marie, she said it like this to me. Faith, it accepts, and faith, it expects only one outcome. Faith, it accepts into your spirit, and faith by the spirit, it expects only one outcome. We don't waver with our confession. We have a single-mindedness about our confession. We don't speak doubt, we speak truth. We don't speak death, we speak life. We don't speak defeat, we speak victory. We keep holding on to hope. We don't let go, though everything in the world would tell us to let go. We hold on without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. For he who promised, not because you got it together, not because everything looks good on the outside, for he who promised is faithful. Revelation 19 says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it called faithful and true. The one who is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. I can't wait to get to Revelation in a couple weeks. We're going to go in deep. But he's called faithful and true. Not only is he a faithful king, not only is he a true king, but he is the sovereign eternal king. All, all, all the world this past week, their eyes have been caught up on in the, the situation of the queen, queen of England, and we celebrate the life, the legacy, and the faith that she had, and we pray for the family. But church, there is one who is seated on the throne, who does not succumb to death, in fact, he has defeated death. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, the sovereign, eternal ruler of the universe. That's the one that we hold fast to. Times and seasons may go and change. Kings and queens may go and they may change. But he alone, he rules, he reigns, and he sits in power and might and dominion on his throne. He alone is the one to which we hold, for he alone is faithful and true. And when we are faithless, the scripture says, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the one we hold fast to. The blood, it gives us confidence. It lets us draw near. It helps us to hold fast. Then point number four, stir it up. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How many of y'all remember the old school washer machines? And old school is, is my generation saying old school. I'm not talking about like going down to the creek with like a little washboard. It's old school, all right? I'm talking about the ones that look like a fair ride. When you open it up, it's going around like this. It's got the plastic shaft. Like some of y'all are like, old school, yeah, we used to go down to the river and take the soap, the lye soap and all that, start scrubbing. I'm not, I'm not there, y'all. That's not my generation. I'm in, the, I'm in the 90s, all right? But the old school washer machines, anybody remember that, the technical term for the white plastic column that came up in the middle? The agitator. At the first service, they had a harder time remembering that. I'm, uh, here we go. I think they were the washboard crowd. So 
Love, love my first service people. God bless you. I'm going to pay for that one. It was called the, the agitator. And what did the agitator do? It stirred things up, right? It agitated. It would slowly rotate and wash and, and cleanse, and it would stir everything in that washer machine. And Hebrews is saying that because of the blood of Christ Jesus, not for any other reason, but because of the blood, like we sanctified, we cleansed by the blood, because of the blood of Christ Jesus, let us consider how to stir up. Some translations say to provoke one another to love and good works. You know what the Bible is telling us? Not just pastors, but the people of God. Don't let your brothers and sisters sit on the sideline. That's what it's saying. It's saying stir them up to love and good works. He's saying we have a corporate responsibility, one to another, to stir up, to provoke others, to love and good works. His blood demands this of us. Jesus said it like this, that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Church, the Bible is giving you permission in this realm and in this realm alone to provoke people, right? Not in any other realm to provoke people, but in this realm alone to provoke one another to good works. Church, we got to get people in the game. If we're not in the game, we got to get in the game. If we are in the game, we got to help get people on the sidelines into the game because there's a world out there that is lost, hurting and dying, waiting for Christians to be stirred up and placed into the game so that eternity can be populated. So worship team, if you would come to the stage. Finally, point number one, confidence. Two, draw near. Three, hold fast. Four, stir it up. Five, don't neglect the house of God. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Isn't it interesting that he closes out this admonition with the importance of church community coming together? The whole passage, it starts with, because of the blood of Christ Jesus, meaning confidence, drawing near, holding fast, stirring up. It's all made available. It's all made possible because, therefore, because of the blood of Christ. All these things flow out of the blood. But isn't it interesting it's all woven together in the context of the church coming together? The blood of Christ makes it available. But it's all fabricated in the household of faith. Confidence comes in the household of faith. Drawing near comes in the household of faith. Holding on comes in the household of faith. Being stirred up comes in the household of faith. And this point has never been more true in our society. I'm not going to say in the history of the world, but in our society. It says in the last days that many are going to bail. They're going to bail. They're going to stop assembling themselves as, as the manner of some. And here we are, so many people who are taking the bait of the enemy on this point. They're not heeding the counsel of their spiritual leadership. And thank God for the counsel of our spiritual leadership. And if spiritual leadership says something, we should lean in and we should posture ourselves and we should listen to it, right? But not only are they not heeding the counsel of godly leadership, 
they're not heeding the counsel of God's word. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. I had a conversation in rooms to go, probably eight, ten years ago. I invited somebody to the church, and they go, I'm a Christian, but I just don't go to church. And she said, don't come at me with that Hebrews verse of not assembling yourselves together. And I thought, if I can't come at you with the Bible, what else do I got? I didn't say that to her, but like, I just loved honor. I loved honor. But I thought like, if, if you say, don't bring the word of God into this conversation, what, what is the conversation at that point? We must heed the counsel of our spiritual leadership and we must heed the counsel of God's word. It's written for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? These aren't just words on a page. These are words that are alive, that are inspired by God. Breathed in through men who wrote according to the Holy Spirit. Man wrote the word, but God held the pen, right? This is the word of God, the eternal word of God we're talking about. We must heed the word of God. Church, our families, online, our families need the house of God. Online is great and online has its place, but it's not spiritual community. I want to talk through this in a natural standpoint. Throughout the pandemic, on the post side or whatever side you call this that we're on, there have been a lot of studies about how the pandemic has adversely affected education. I'm not here to disparage education today. One recent study done by the NCES, the National Center for Education Service or Statistics, it's a .gov group, a government-backed group. The study showed that amongst nine-year-olds, there was huge drops in math and in English proficiency across the country during the pandemic, during the distance learning and staying at home and, and all that stuff. The scale was shocking because they had not seen such significant decline in decades. In decades. In decades, they hadn't seen such decline in English and math in decades. But even more heartbreaking was the disparity amongst the racial groupings of the study. And I'm not here to disparage our our school system, but I'm here to draw a line between the natural and the supernatural. Because church, if we are having a hard time teaching math and English online and at home, what about the Word of God? What about the Word of God, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And while I'm a huge proponent of education, the, doesn't, the devil doesn't win if you don't know whether to put a comma or a semicolon in a sentence, right? The devil doesn't win if you don't know how to multiply and divide. But the devil wins when you and your family are not in the presence of Almighty God amongst other believers of like-minded faith. We are built... We are built for the household of faith. And church, hear me out, online has its place, but it is not a replacement of the real thing. It is not a replacement. We have to get back into the houses of worship across our world. We wonder why we see a decline in sanity in our world because we've seen an incline in distance from the houses of worship. America worries comes election time, but comes Sunday morning, our convenience supersedes our conviction. And it's time that we allow conviction to supersede convenience. 
that we get our families back in the household of faith. Studies are showing that two in three church-going Gen Zers, these are teenagers that we're talking about today, teenagers and adolescents, will stop going to church when they turn an adult. Studies are showing that active worshipers are considered active worshipers if they only come once a month. And it's heartbreaking, it's not hard to believe, but we wonder why our nation and our world declines in sanity. Church, one checkbox a month will not do. We are built for week in, week out, household of faith. We need Sundays of corporate worship. We need family midweek prayer services. Our, our children need discipleship week in and week out. We saying, Pastor, that's a little much. No, it's not a little much when it comes to eternity. Eternity is a whole lot more. And the eternity of this next generation is hanging in the balances. I know what people say, but then I see what statistics say as well. And I know what culture, and I know that the enemy is a real devil, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And he will use every tip, every trick, every convenience that is made available to woo people away from the places of faith. We must get back into the household of faith. Mom and dad, you may know how to read and write and do math, but studies are showing it's the children who are paying the price. In the same vein, you may know how to pray and read your word, but it's the children who are paying the price. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and eternally, we cannot neglect the household of faith. If you would stand with me, because this is what Jesus died for what his blood made available confidence drawing near holding fast stirring it up and the gathering of his body therefore brothers since we have this confidence if you're here this morning God's working on your heart and life, and maybe you've been struggling in the area of confidence in your journey of faith, from private to public, from private to adversity. I want you, all of our prayer team, if you would come down to the altars right now, but if that's your struggle right now, is confidence in your journey of faith. Maybe you have confidence that you haven't been in the presence of, of the Lord and drawing near with a heart that is pure. I want you to get out of your seat and come down to the front. Maybe you, you're one that you said, Pastor, I need to get into the game. I need to start working. I need to start serving. I need to start surrendering myself to the bidding and to the call of the Lord. I want you to get out from where you are seated and come down. Or maybe you've been distant from the household of faith. Come on, let's get down to the front as the worship team leads us in song. And let's pray for God to bring revival, to move in your heart, your soul, and in your midst. Come on, team.